I'm so excited about today. Could we stand together in honor of God's word? You're probably wondering why, why did we do a Christmas song? Has, is Nathan messed up a little? We're in the middle of summer. Well, we're going through the story. And today we start the New Testament. And so here we go. Matthew chapter 1. The record of the genealogy of Jesus the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac, Isaac the father of Jacob, and Jacob the father of Judah and his brothers. Judah was the father of Perez and Zerah by Tamar. Perez was the father of Hezron, and Hezron the father of Ram. Ram was the father of Aminadab, Aminadab the father of Nishan, and Nishan the father of Salmon. Solomon was the father of Boaz by Rahab. Boaz was the father of Obed by Ruth, and Obed the father of Jesse. Jesse was the father of David the king. David was the father of Solomon by Bathsheba, who had been the wife of Uriah. Now the birth of Jesus Christ was as follows. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child by the Holy Spirit. And Joseph, her husband, being a righteous man and not wanting to disgrace her, planned to send her away secretly. But when he had considered this, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for the child who has been conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit." She will bear a son, and you will call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Now all this took place to fulfill what was spoken by the Lord through the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall be with child and shall bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which translated means God with us. And Joseph awoke from his sleep and did as the angel of the Lord commanded him and took Mary as his wife. But kept her a virgin until she gave birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. Would you pray with me, please? Lord, you have such a present word for us, for every single heart that is here. Would you please hide me behind the cross, God? Lord, could could no one be distracted from what you have for them today? Please, God, fill this place with your presence. Holy Spirit, we call you the only true teacher. Come and teach us and reveal Jesus in our midst, we pray. God, we love you. We'll give you praise and glory for every good thing that happens. In Jesus' name, and everybody said, amen. You may be seated. So the title of the message is A Beautiful Mess. A Beautiful Mess. Point one is the mess. I want to talk about the messy lineage of Jesus through the women that are mentioned in the lineage. lineage. The first woman that's messaged is... Tamar, who is married to Judah, and Judah and Tamar have Perez. Actually, they're not married. Judah and Tamar have Perez, who's in the lineage of Jesus. 
folks, if you want to read a messy story, a story that you would not expect to be in the Bible, but even if it was in the Bible, not part of Jesus' lineage, it's this story in Genesis chapter 38. It's just horrible. So Judah marries Shua, and they have three sons, Ur, Onan, and Shelah. And Ur marries Tamar. Well, Ur is very ungodly and displeasing to God, so the Bible says that, that he, he dies. He dies at a young age. And then the second son, Onan, is supposed to raise children, give Tamar children, but he refuses to give her children. So he, that displeases God, so he dies too. And so Judah comes to Tamar, and he says, wait for uh, Shelah to grow up. When he grows up, I will give you uh, to him and you can have children through him. Well, Shelah grows up and he doesn't want to give her to Tamar. And so when Tamar realizes this is not going to happen and she's just simply not going to be able to have kids and Judah has broken her, his promise to her, she dresses up like a prostitute. And she goes to the neighboring village and pretends to be a prostitute. And Judah comes there and Judah's wife is, has passed away. And so he goes and he hires the prostitute. She becomes pregnant. The child that they have through this pregnancy, this woman with her father-in-law is named Perez and he's in the lineage of Jesus. What a mess. Well, if that's not bad enough, we've got somebody pretending to be a prostitute. You just go a few generations and we have Solomon who is married or who is the the uh, married to Rahab, who actually is a prostitute. Rahab was a prostitute in Canaan. She was, that was her employment. And when the spies came, she hid them and she said, uh, I will hide you if, if when you guys come, you, 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 that you save my house. And so they made a deal with her and then she goes on and marries somebody. And they have a child named Boaz. Boaz has a very colorful story too. He marries another woman named Ruth. Ruth's a Moabite. They're not even supposed to be with Moabites. They're supposed to stay separate. No Moabite is to come into the assembly. Well, he goes way beyond that. He marries a Moabite. And there she is in the lineage of Christ. Well, then you've got, they have Obed, and Obed has Jesse, and Jesse has David, and now, okay, finally we're at King David. Now this thing is going to get cleaned up. The man after God's own heart. Nope, nope, <laughs> nope. David commits adultery with Bathsheba so that it's not discovered. He kills her husband, Uriah, who's one of his mighty men. It's just horrible, disastrous. 
but he repents of that and God forgives him. Their first baby dies and then they have another child named Solomon and there's Solomon in the lineage of Jesus. What a mess. So then we get down to Mary. And uh, Mary is has an angel appear to her. We read about this in Luke and you're going to have a, a, a child and, and she says, you know, whatever you want, I'm the Lord's servant. And so she gets pregnant. Well, she was betrothed to somebody named Joseph. He's a carpenter in Nazareth and God forgot to tell Joseph. <laughs> she, gets, she gets pregnant and God had forgot to tell Joseph, so she, he thinks she has committed immorality. She's got this crazy story about angels, and no, I didn't sleep with anybody. And he's like, yeah, I've heard enough. I've, I've, thank you. Thank you. I've heard enough. And she's just a teenager. So he's going to put her away, which means divorce her, because betrothal then was much stronger than engagement today. Betrothal was like marriage. And... Um, So he was going to have to divorce her. And in the text, the angel appears and says, don't be afraid. You know, she's telling the truth. This baby is going to be the son of God. His name is going to be Jesus. And he's going to save his people from their sins. And he will be God with us. And so, uh, so they're going to have this baby Well, there is a census. Luke tells us that Augustus, who is the emperor at the time, calls for a worldwide, empire-wide census. This is in the days of Herod the king. Now, because... Of something that happened in the 1880s, a guy got made made Herod's death 4 BC, and because of that, ever, all the history books said his death was in 4 BC. Therefore, Christ had to be born 5 or 6 BC. Well, for 80 years, that's what everybody believed. In the in the mid 60s, they realized, oh my, Herod. There's no way that Herod could have died in 4 BC. He actually died in 1 BC, and I've got CDs on that. It's called the history. Uh, Let's talk about Christmas history. You can do that on your own. Point is this: they couldn't find the census until they got Herod's death at the right place. Once they got to his death to 1 BC, they found the census. There was a worldwide, empire-wide census in 3 BC. It was, had nothing to do with taxes. It was a pledge of allegiance to Augustus. He was presented in, in 2 BC, February 9th, 2 BC, the father of the country by the entire Roman Empire, but everybody took this pledge. So you, you went and you got registered and you made a pledge. To understand the pledge that Joseph and Mary gave and the census they came to, 
You have to understand something about their place in the Roman Empire. At this time, Judah is a client kingdom of Rome. They are not under the direct supervision of Rome. Oftentimes, when Rome conquered a place, they would leave the leadership or install their own leadership in place and let them run as a separate kingdom. It's just easier to run it that way rather than having to directly tax them, directly supervise them, and then they would just pay tribute in. And at that time... Um, They were a client kingdom, and Rome had placed Herod as the king. So anyway, so this pledge is given. All over the Roman Empire, they have found evidence of this census that was about this pledge. I'll just give you a couple places. In Paphlagonia, they found an uh, an artifact that had this on it, that there was an oath sworn by all the people in the land at the altars of Augustus, in the temples of Augustus, in the various districts. It was, it was labeled, it was marked uh, what we would call 3 BC. In Armenia, it says to Armenia, um, they brought the image of Augustus Caesar, which they set up in every temple once again 3 BC for those that were under the direct supervision of Rome they literally brought images of Augustus that you had to worship you had to bow down it was like a religious act and the uh, consequence for not doing it was death but the client kingdoms were very different they also needed to do the census that had the pledge But they could do it their style, which is how the client kingdoms ran. They ran their own thing. They did their own taxation, and they ran their own census. Well, Josephus, who's the Jewish guy that wrote about that time, tells about the census that brought Joseph and Mary. Here's what he says. The whole Jewish nation at that time took an oath to be faithful to Caesar and to the interests of the king. Okay, clearly, this is an oath that Herod has made up because the original oath was only to Augustus. It had nothing to do with him, but he was, he was very power-hungry. The second evidence that this is not run by Rome but run locally is they came to their hometowns. The way you would do a census in Rome was very different than how you would do it in Israel. In Israel, everybody still owned their own property that was in their family. You got it back in the year of Jubilee. You rented it out in other years. But if you were going to do a census, you went back to your homeland. You did not get it from where you were. And so they ran this census. And Joseph and Mary came back to give pledge to Caesar and to the interests of the king. Israel at this time is just a mess. First they were under the Babylonian Empire. Then they were under the Persian Empire. Then they were under Greece. Now they are under Rome. They have got a Caesar that believes he is God. He is God in the flesh. They have got a king. King Herod is a madman. He he has killed his 
a, a couple of his wives. He's killed his two favorite sons. He's about to kill a third son before he dies. He is a madman. He's raging of jealous and uh, jealousy and power. He's just filled with it. And he is the leader under Rome of Judea. They are coming to make this pledge, which is, it's just a questionable pledge. There's, there's not enough in it that you couldn't make it. But the, Josephus tells us 6,000 Pharisees refused to take this pledge. And they only paid a fine. If it was done by the Roman Empire, they would have died. But the way Herod had it set up, you could get out of it by paying money. Here's what I'm trying to get at. Their lives are really hard. It is a very, very difficult time to be alive, especially if you're a poor Jew. And then on top of it, they got to go do this census, but Mary is nine months pregnant. It's, boy, it's everybody. It's men and women have to take this pledge. So they pack up. They, it's 40 miles to get from Nazareth to Bethlehem. They are traveling on a camel. There's no DVD in the car. There, there's nothing. This is, this is going to take days. And she is nine months pregnant. They get to town. And Luke tells us they can't find a place at the inn. But she is having the baby. She's starting contractions. And they're like, nope, 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 nope. Did God forget that they were pregnant? Did he forget that they needed a place? Couldn't have he gone before and got a hotel room? Couldn't, the son of God is being born. Are you kidding me? There's no room at the inn. They have to go out to the barn. They they go to a cave, which is where they kept the cattle. And why? Where's the midwife? Can't there be a helper to bring in God's son? Joseph, man, could you imagine you being the midwife, the nurse that delivers the baby? Lee can. I can't. I, 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 I just. <laughs> this thing is so messy. And God allows the whole thing. That's point one. Let's move, let's move on to point two. Let's move on to something more pleasant. Point two, the beauty. I'm reading from John. Chapter 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through Him all things were made. Without Him nothing was made that has been made. In Him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify concerning that light so that through him all might believe. He himself was not the light. He came only as a witness to the light. The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. 
He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, children born not of natural descent nor of human decision or a husband's will, but born of God. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father full of grace and truth. So, one of the arguments of atheists today is how could God possibly be all good and all powerful and this world be such a mess. He's just doing a horrible job. There's so much evil. There's so many, so much suffering in this world. And if there's a God who's supposedly all good and all powerful, how could this world be a mess? You just do the addition. Either he's not good, he's not powerful, or he doesn't exist. Otherwise, this world would not be such a mess. I got, an, I got another possibility. What if... What if instead of cleaning up the mess... Do you know what it means to clean up the mess? Do you know, do you know how God cleans up the mess? Judgment. There's a day coming when God is going to clean up the whole mess. Here's the problem. Before you're too anxious to have the mess cleaned up, if God had decided to just clean the whole mess up, guess who wouldn't exist? Me and you. So instead of cleaning up the mess, the plan right from the beginning was that he would enter the mess. That the God of heaven the word who was with God and who was God would come into the world and be born in human flesh. That God's love for sinful people, for messy people was so great that he chose to enter in to humanity. He became a human being. He was born as a baby in a manger. So that we could have his light. John 3:17 says this, God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world but to save the world through him. Jesus didn't come the first time to clean up the mess. He didn't come to condemn the mess. He came to save us. The beauty of his birth, the beauty of the light. He is the true light that lights up every single human being that comes into the world. Did you know that there is no judgment for our mess. We were born into a mess. We were born a mess ourselves. Everybody's born sinners. 
Did you know there's not judgment for the mess we're in? Listen to John 317. It's actually, or 319. This is the judgment. That the light has come into the world, but men loved the darkness rather than the light, for their deeds were evil. No one gets judged for being in darkness. Judgment comes when we reject light that is the answer out of darkness. He is the true light who comes to every single human being. Don't have in your, uh, your mind the idea that, well, it's too bad if you were born before Jesus because I guess those people were lost. That, that's not how it works. Jesus came into time at a certain point, but his light is available and was available. All, every single person has a chance to respond to Jesus Christ. Whatever that looks like. Judgment is not based on our mess. It's based on our response to the light that comes into our mess. And then the beauty of his redemption. God's plan at the beginning was this. Is that he would make humanity to share in his very nature, that we would share in his very life, that we would, we would have eternal life with him. Every human being that was created was created for eternal life. The originals, Adam and Eve, chose not to eat of that tree of life. And so they were locked out of the garden, lest they eat of it and live forever apart from God. But God's heart, God's passion never changed. In fact, in his foreknowledge, he knew exactly what was going to happen. And the Bible says that before, before the world was created, Christ was crucified. That this was always the plan. I'm going to read Galatians chapter 3, verse 13 to you. It says this, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us. For as it is written, cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. Jesus came into this world to die. He came into this world to die on a cross for you and for me, to redeem us from the curse that was on all of humanity so that we could be blessed, so that we could become God's children. He redeemed us from the curse of the law so that we could share eternal life with God. The new tree of life is the cross. And then finally, the beauty of sons and daughters. So Luke gives us Jesus' genealogy through Mary, and Matthew gives us Jesus' genealogy through Joseph, and, but through either one of them, it stops with Jesus. Jesus has no physical descendants. He was never married, never had a child. But he came into this world, John 1.12 says, says to us. He came to his own, his own received him not, but to as many as received him. To them he gave the power to become the children of God. Not born of man, not born of the will of man, but born of God. 
So Jesus doesn't have physical descendants, but he has spiritual descendants. He has children. He's making children for the Father. When we receive Christ, we become the children of God. There's, there's no grandchildren. God doesn't have a single grandchild. He, they're all directly children of God. This was his purpose for coming. Listen to Galatians 4, 4 through 7. But when the set time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, under the law to redeem those under the law that we might receive adoption to sonship. Because you are his sons, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, the spirit who calls out Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but God's child. And since you are his child, God also made you an heir. So the the big upper story right from the beginning was God was going to give eternal life to human beings. He was going to come into the mess and he was going to adopt us and make us his own children and make us heirs with Christ, co-owners of everything. This was always the plan. So that brings us to point three, the mess and the beauty today. Are you guys enjoying these testimonies we have every week? Last, last, uh, when I was working on this, Wednesday is my study day, so I work on it on, and I'd come in to write some things down, and uh, Leo Vargas was, was in the foyer. Leo just gave his testimony last week, and so I'm chatting with Leo, and um, he's, he's re-giving the testimony, and he's, he's, he's talking about, um, his time in addiction. Addicted first to alcohol, then to crack cocaine, and, and all of the meetings that he went to, the AA meetings where you go and you say, I'm an alcoholic, and, and you own your alcoholism, and then it was, I'm a drug addict, and, and you went in, he said, you went in a drug addict, you went in an alcoholic, and you came out an alcoholic. In fact, as you were reminded that that was who you were. And he said, he said, and he said, there just something didn't take with me until I read 2 Corinthians 5.17. 2 Corinthians 5.17, if anybody is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. And it was like a revelation to him. That God has a new identity for me. And that even though I have been that, I am not that. I am a new creation now in Christ. This, This beautiful new identity that Jesus has for us. Now frankly, I love AA. I love narcotics and I like I like I like any of those programs but what they are is pre-evangelism they they teach you in AA or NA they teach you a, a number of things one you need to own your mess it is your mess two they you have to own the responsibility for your mess your mess has hurt a lot of other people and you need to open your eyes and see you're hurting people all over the place and then you need to embrace a higher power and they don't care what the higher power is. But this is all pre-evangelism. Because there's only one higher power that can give you a new identity. And that's Jesus. 
There's only, there's only one higher power that can take you out of the old and make you something new. And that is what Christianity does. That is the power of Christianity. Now that doesn't mean you don't still have to guard against things. That doesn't mean you don't have weaknesses that you could go back to. And of course, if you've been an alcoholic or drug addict, you, you, you go back, one drink is too many. And you need to be vigilant. But you're a new creation in Christ. You're a favored son, a favored daughter. So he's in stage two. He's telling me this on Wednesday. He's in stage two, and they're out in Phoenix, and it's, he's in Teen Challenge, and, and in stage two, you, you go door to door, and you tell the story of Teen Challenge and see if people want to give gifts help to help with Teen Challenge. And so they're literally knocking on doors, door to door. And he knocks on this door, and a 14-year-old boy comes to the door. And Leo's just, this is what we're supposed to do. So he's telling this 14-year-old boy about alcohol, about uh, Teen Challenge and about what they're doing, and would you like to give a gift? And, you know, the 14-year-old's like, no, <laughs> I'm 14. And so Leo's like, okay. And so he, he walks, he's, he's walking away, gets to the sidewalk, and the Lord speaks to him. And this is all new to him, the idea of God speaking. God says, I want you to pray for that boy. And I, and I want you to tell him that I want to help him and I want to, I want to live with him. So he, goes, he just turns around, goes back to the door, and uh, the boy's older sister answers the door. And Leo, Leo's just brand new. He just says, uh, there was a boy here just a little while ago. I was leaving and God spoke to me and told me to pray for him. Is, is, he, is he still here? And she's like, well, you know, as a matter of fact, he has been suffering from depression. He's been cutting himself. And he actually could really use prayer. So come on in. So Leo goes in and, and he leads this 14-year-old boy to Christ. And he tells him, God wants to help you. And he wants to live with you. Guys, this is the simplicity of the gospel. This is the bottom line. It's okay that your life is a mess. It's okay if you've made a mess of your own life or somebody else has made a mess of your life. Whatever it is that's got you depressed, dark, cutting, injuring yourself, doing horrible things to yourself or to other people, God loves you. Jesus came into this world, Emmanuel, God with us, and now he wants to come into our lives to as many as received him. He came in and he made them the children of God so that he could live with them and love them and help them. This is what the gospel is and this is what it does. A few weeks ago, we had our Intimacy with God conference, and Brian White was the speaker Friday night, and right before he started, he just, he just stopped. He said, could we wait on God? And he gave a prophetic word a week ago, Tuesday, 
a man in our congregation that I know very well gave a testimony of what that word meant to him. Here was the word. There's somebody here who is waiting for God to do something. It has been very, very difficult waiting for God. You are suffering, waiting for God to do something. And he said, here is the word the Lord has. He said, and he said, the picture I saw is somebody on a bench waiting for a bus. And it's like that bus is the thing God's going to do. And you're waiting for God to come. And he said, he said, the word is this. God wants you to look next to you on the bench. Because he is right next to you on that bench. And he wants to wait with you. He wants you to take his hand. And he wants to wait with you. Last Tuesday, we had a healing service here and we were praying for people afterwards and I was right over there praying for a woman in our congregation. I know she's in a very, very difficult situation and I I go to pray for her and I, I just had a picture and she was in a maze a very complicated maze. And mazes are very, very frustrating because they're, you want to get out, but if you keep taking wrong turns, you're never going to get out. There's only one way out of a maze. And if you don't know that right way, you, you feel suffocated by it, and she's trapped inside of this. And I said, the Lord... The Lord is here right now and here's his offer to you. He wants you to see him right now in the maze. He's not showing you the way out of the maze. He's showing you himself. And if you will follow him, he knows exactly every turn that will eventually lead you out of this maze. That was the word. And I said, it's really important for you to get out of this maze because there are other people dependent on you. Here's 1 Corinthians 10, 13. I'm going to ask the worship team to come. No temptation. This word, this Greek word for temptation is the exact same word as the Greek word for test. So it could be translated test or temptation. I'm going to use test right now because I think it applies as a test. No test has overtaken you except that which is common to mankind. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tested, he will provide a way out so that you can endure it. First, that's not what we want to hear. We don't want to hear that we're going to have to endure anything. That God's way out is us still having to endure something. That's not what we would choose. But God is faithful. He is with you in your difficulty, in your test, in your problem, in your marriage, in your finances, in your health. Whatever it is that is complicating your life, that is making your life difficult, he is there. He is there. He's waiting for you to see his hand. He's waiting for you, instead of just trying to get out, to see him in the midst of it. Well, Pastor Tom, why doesn't God speak louder? If he's here, why doesn't he speak louder? Thanks for asking. 
two reasons. One, he wants you to get quiet. And second, he wants you to come close. God insists on whispering. The devil goes about as a roaring lion, and God insists on whispering. You want to hear God? Quiet your life down. Stop. Cease all your striving and all of your manipulations to try to make everything better. Stop. And listen. And come close. Because let me tell you something. God is crazy, crazy in love with you. See, our goal is to get out of our test. Do you know what God's goal is? God's goal is you. It's the relationship. Yeah, he'll get you out of the test. Tests are, they're short-lived. They're, and when I say short-lived, some of them last until you die. But how many know this whole life is one breath? It's one vapor. For God, the big event is you. The big event is the relationship. All right, let's stand. Let's stand. Before I keep going. Before we do the final prayer, I'd like us to sing this together. The Bible says there is no condemnation for those who in Christ are in Christ Jesus. And what that simply means is this. Even though you've made a mess, even though maybe others have made your life a mess, your identity is not that you're a mess. Your identity is in Jesus Christ. He came, he is anointed to give us his beauty for our ashes. All we need to do is respond to the light. Do you mind opening your arms right now? We're just going to pray. Lord, we all have an idea of what it would look like for you to come. And none of us could have dreamed the way you came into the mess of this world and the complications with Joseph and Mary and the census and Herod and Augusta. I just... You just came. You came. You came hidden. And Lord, today, you're willing to be born in a cold, dirty stable of our hearts, just like you were born in that day. You're willing to be born where our circumstances have oppressed us and discouraged us and messed us up. And you're saying, that's okay, I'm I'm coming. I'm coming. Mary said, Come. I'm the Lord's servant. Come. Let it be to me according to your purpose, according to your plan. I want you, Jesus. Lord, I don't know where we are. I don't know. Some here maybe have never known you. Maybe there are some here that did know you, but they've walked away from you. Some for the very reason of the mess that's in their life, and they've kind of lost track of your goodness. And you're calling us home today, Jesus. Pure love is calling us home. Life is hard, but God is good. So, Lord, here we are. We're opening our hearts.
We're preparing room for you to come. We're giving you our ashes. We're giving you our messes. We're giving you our mistakes. We're giving you our sins. We're giving you all those who have sinned against us and abused us and cheated us and oppressed us. We're giving you our mess. Jesus, we're opening our hearts. Come, fill us now. Holy Spirit, come. Wash away the darkness. Wash away the addiction. Wash away the fear. And make us the favored sons and daughters of the living God. Make us confident that we are the heirs of heaven. That we are now carriers of the beauty. Carriers of the goodness of God. Fill us, God, we pray. Fill us and send us for your glory and for our good and for the good of everybody we touch today. In Jesus' name, amen.